Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, another special edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. We got with us tonight, Horn Frog Blitz's Jeremy Clark, our uh, TCU 247 site. Uh, Going to have Jeremy on to talk a little bit about Monday night's game, have a chance to preview the Horn Frogs against the Bulldogs, which will kick off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Monday, January 9th, it'll be broadcast on ESPN, national title game, and uh, quite an interesting one. Um, start this off, uh, Jeremy, just how is this uh, this night treating you? I'm, I can't even keep up with what day it is. How is this Tuesday night treating you as we get closer and closer to kickoff? Man, is it, is it Tuesday already? These days are all just running together. I don't even know anymore. I mean, really, I had to look at my phone to figure out uh, <laughs> what day it is, but uh that's part of the fun of this time of year, especially when you've got teams contending for championships. And obviously there are two in this uh, game on Monday night uh, in TCU in Georgia. And I'll start, Jeremy, just with, with sort of getting a gauge of TCU and, and sort of around the fan base. What has this season been like for fans and even for people following the program like yourself to see TCU and Sonny Dyke's first year, the amount of success they've had, and then obviously being able to win uh, that uh, Fiesta Bowl on Saturday to move on to the championship game? I mean, just starting out with the season, Jordan, I mean, it's the best word to describe it is incredible. Um, sometimes unbelievable. I mean, you're talking to a guy that has been covering this program since 2005, and I've seen the good years. I've seen the Rose Bowl. I've seen the Fiesta Bowl where they went down and lost to Boise State, and I've seen 2014 where they were one game away basically from the uh, college football playoff, and this is a uh, this is a year that I don't think anyone expected. I don't think anyone could have told you unless they are diehard TCU fans where you cut them open and purple blood comes out. They bleed purple. But I think the coaches and players felt like they would have a good chance, and that's always an optimism around the program. They always feel like they're going to have a good year. And uh, you're talking to a guy right now that felt like 6-6 six and six was kind of the floor for this program and 8-4. and four. And maybe with the bowl win to get to nine and four was was really the ceiling. And uh, for them to be sitting at thirteen and one right now, coming fresh off a win over Michigan in the college football semifinal at the Verbo Fiesta Bowl, is just it's it's just amazing. It's incredible. And I mean, when you look at that game against Michigan, it it just goes along with what we've seen from TCU this entire season. They've been doubted time and time again. They were lucky so many games. They against a weak Big 12, and they they somehow always find a way to win. And when they go out against Michigan, all of a sudden you blink and they're up 21-3, to three, and all of a sudden people start to kind of respect what TCU is. They see that physicality. They see the athleticism. They see, see the speed. They get a chance to really see Max Duggan live. Everyone knows that he was a Heisman finalist along with Stetson Bennett from Georgia. And, I mean, I think it was a I think it was a great thing for them to go out there and do. I know a lot of people are looking at some missed calls or whatever that caused the Michigan to lose, but TCU was supposed to lose by three or four touchdowns. If you listen to a lot of experts or a lot of fans from Michigan or even a lot of people around college football in general, I don't think really people were giving TCU a chance to uh, defeat Michigan, much less playing the game with them. So yeah, just culmination of uh, what's been re- a really good season so far for them. Kind of keeping it with the big picture, Jeremy, what has changed around the program, you know, just outside of the record, what changed with Sonny Dykes coming in? What was it that him stepping in in his first year 
has helped set up this kind of situation where they're a win away from a national championship? I get asked that question a lot, and the, the best answer I can give is just Sonny Docks understands this day and age of college football. He understands this day and age of what college football players do and how they're supposed to be coached and how they want to be coached. And I make a joke about it, and, and, and I was around Gary Patterson for a long time, uh, 17 years um, before this year. I, this is my 18th year covering the program, but I joke around and, and say that everything that Gary Patterson really wasn't doing right, they handed a piece of paper to Sonny Dykes, and he's done the complete opposite. That goes from just – really being a guy that's not a micromanager. He, he really de delegates things pretty evenly throughout his staff. He does, he lets the coaching staff do their job. Uh, as far as uh, strength and conditioning, they put a huge focus on that, uh, especially not only the aspect of just getting bigger, just getting bigger and faster and stronger, but the mental aspect of it. I think Coach Kaz Kazadi, the strength and conditioning coach, is a hidden gem in college football. I really feel like – He's one of the top strength and conditioning coaches in all of college football. Maybe one of the, maybe the number one guy in college football. If you look at a lot of their success and you talk to coaches around the program, uh, especially docs or even the players, Kaz Kazadi's name is one of the first two or three names that are mentioned. But we started to notice as media in the spring, and that's that's another great thing. We never got spring access. We got one practice in the spring and. Sonny Docks is telling everyone, hey, if you want to come out, come out. That includes media. That includes fans. I've been coaching for 20 years. There's nothing anyone's going to see that haven't seen uh, me do before. So come on out. And, and uh, he's opened the program up. And I think it's just given – it's kind of revitalized not only the players but the fan base itself because it's one thing to lose uh, – to win and close your program. But when you're losing and you're closing your program, there's not a whole lot of excitement. So I think the excitement started to kind of brew up. In spring, you started to see going out there to the practices. Players were just having fun. I mean, it was it's crazy. And and they're not 13 and one because they're having fun, but there is a better team chemistry about them. The culture's a lot different. So I think a lot of the things that you look at from their success has a lot to do with the way Coach Docs and the rest of his coaching staff is coaching. And they had a pretty talented roster that Gary Patterson left over. They obviously added some guys through the transfer portal, especially on defense, but uh, I, I think the the roster, if you look at it from an offensive perspective, guys like Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston, Kendra Miller, and a bulk of that offensive line were already there. And, and, and you know, just he had that to work with. And, man, sometimes all it takes is a little bit of change, and that coaching change has obviously worked out great for them. No doubt about it. And really enjoyed on Tuesday listening to Sonny Dykes on the teleconference, just answering different questions. And, I mean, obviously you can just tell how candid he is. And I thought he gave good perspective on a number of things. And I want to ask you about something that Sonny mentioned. You know, he talked about the Oklahoma game kind of being a point for the program where they kind of looked around and said, you know, that, that maybe we are good enough to at least, you know, be a Big 12 contender, be a team that matters. When was the point for you, Jeremy, that you saw something that, you know, maybe necessarily you didn't say this team's going to the national title game, but that they had sort of turned the page, that this was a team that could contend and, and could hang, especially when it came to Big 12 competition this year, that um, they had a chance to maybe go do something special? Well, I think when you look at it, I mean, Oklahoma gets brought up, obviously, because they had only beaten Oklahoma one time since 2012. Oklahoma had just dominated the series. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. Um, and for them to go out there and just handle Oklahoma the, the way they did, it wasn't a close win. It was a big win. But I really feel like, and it, and it sounds crazy because you want to look at um, this game because it's it's loaded with talent, but 
I, I really feel like that game against Texas was the was the eye opener for me because there was so much buildup for that game. You're talking about Texas was, I believe, ranked 17th at the time. They had college game day there. It was the second largest crowd ever to attend a game at Texas. The biggest crowd was a few weeks prior to that against Alabama. And so you you knew Texas was riding pretty high. They were they had a lot of momentum. They still had a chance to compete in the Big 12 championship if they beat TCU that night. TCU goes down there and they play one of the best games I've ever seen in person. They completely that that score of the game was 17 to 10. But let's remember, Texas got a late fumble uh, recovery late in the game, turned returned it for a touchdown, made it 17 to 10. But if you look at that game, especially from a defensive perspective, the way TCU dominated that offensive line with Texas, they held Bijan Robinson, who Robinson, who many regard as the top running back in the country, to 28 yards on 12 carries. His longest rush of the night was nine yards. Quinn Ewers, who if you ask a lot of Texas fans, hey, we would have beat Alabama if Quinn Ewers didn't get knocked out early. They com- they made him look like the true freshman quarterback he basically is. He he made a lot of mistakes. Receivers couldn't get open, but the defense really showed me that night, and we talked about it as the media in the next week, that the committee has to be impressed with the way TCU dominated that game, especially on defense. Now, they didn't play the greatest game on offense. They got the breaks when they needed. Max Duggan had a decent game. I think he threw for a touchdown. Quentin Johnston had a good game, but it was that game in that environment, over 100,000 screaming fans. Everyone, it, they're, they're, they're ranked higher, but they're going into that game as an underdog. Everyone was predicting Texas to get that win, but when TCU walks out of there in the dominating fashion that they did, that's when I started to feel like they are truly a playoff team. I think this team can compete at the highest level. I want to go in and talk about a few specific players on both sides of the ball. And I think I'd be remiss not to start with the guy you mentioned earlier, Max Duggan, uh, being a Heisman finalist, like you said, and kind of funny to look at both he and Setson Bennett and, and sort of similar stories, particularly with this season. But what has Max brought to the table? Again, a guy that it seems like from the outside looking in uh, had been counted out before. But yeah. Uh, yeah, what he's been able to do, especially this season. Yeah, it's funny because I had some. Uh, I've been on some radio shows down south, and people were asking about Max Duggan. I said, "Hey, the greatest comparison I could think of is Stetson Bennett. Not because the story's the same, but when you talk about a player that a lot of people had kind of written off, and they're kind of the the underdog, and you know they have similar playing styles. They're kind of gunslingers, and they they know how to use their feet. But the competitiveness between those two guys, the will to to want to lead their team to a win." There's, there's no comparison. I mean, those two right there are, are it in college football. But when you look at Max and what he's been able to accomplish this year, we, what we've seen with Max the last three years was he was a highly touted kid. He, I mean, he, he doesn't have the background story as Stetson as a walk-on. Max was a four-star kid. He was rated as one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. Iowa, Gatorade Player of the Year in Iowa his senior year. He ran a 21-5, I think, as a junior in the 200. That's where he gets a speed. He's a very fast kid. But he chose TCU over Notre Dame, Ohio State. I think did George, I don't know if Georgia offered. I, don't, I, I thought I saw it on his profile, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyhow, he was a highly rated kid, but he never, he never had really put it all together these, these first three seasons he was on campus. There was moments that Max had where you felt like, man, he is the future of this program. And then about two or three plays later, you're scratching your head wondering, 
why in the heck did he make that play? Why is he throwing into double, triple coverage? But what I think the difference was this year, obviously he's a year older. He's got a lot more experience. But I really feel like Sonny Docks and Garrett Riley have helped him tremendously. You know, they tease Sonny Docks about being this quarterback whisperer. And, and I really think there's some credence to that because if you look at the way Max has improved uh, this year, it's come from his ability as a passer. The pre- previous three years, he would sit in the pocket. His first read's not there. Boom, he's taken off and running. And that's where Max's highlights came from. If you look at all of his highlights from freshman through junior year, 90% of them are from run plays. This year, he's starting to progress more as a passer. He's obviously always had a pretty strong arm, but he's gotten a lot better on his accuracy. He throws a, a better ball on uh, his deep passes. He's got more touch on the ball. But what he's done the best is just sit in the pocket. He does not leave the pocket. He'll still make some runs. I mean, he's still got those high, type of highlights out there. Everyone saw the the highlights against Kansas State in the Big 12 Championship. So he still makes those type of plays. But if you watch and, and, and just watch each one of his games, he's become more comfortable in the pocket. He really does a nice job of going through all of his progressions. If the first read's not there, he's going the second read. Second read, third read, and, and, and down the line. And we've seen him make a, a, several of those plays, and that's why he's thrown for as many yards as he has this year because he's just developed a, a, a nice uh, passing game to go along with his rushing game. And, I, again, I think Garrett Riley gets a lot of that credit, uh, Sonny Docks, obviously. And the, the game that really just impressed me the most uh, for Max this year, and, and it made me realize, man, he has come such a long way, was that game against Baylor. Because that game against Baylor, they're down eight with a little over nine minutes to go. And they don't have Kendra Miller, the top running back. They don't have Quentin Johnston out there, the top receiver. So, Max, it's pretty much up to him and, and a crew of receivers and a, and a backup running back to come back and win that game. And he goes out and he completes seven of nine passes the last two drives, uses his legs with the, you know, you know get some big runs, good first downs. But the decision-making was just incredible. And the best thing about that whole process was they kept it simple for him. Max told us after the game is we're using spring concepts. These were the, the the passing concepts we learned in the spring. And I think that's what's been so important for Garrett Riley and Sonny Docks and Max Duggan is they haven't tried to confuse them. They haven't tried to change things week to week. It's all been the same material. And, and he's just dropped with uh, learning that and and using it every week. Yeah, I mean, obviously, haven't had a chance to watch TCU all season, but I still can't get over his performance in the Big 12 championship game. You know, we're kind of watching that. They get kicked off before uh, Georgia LSU, so kind of watching that game. And even though they didn't win that game, I mean, what an incredible performance by Max and and for TCU to to fight back and to be in that game in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a game that everyone as a TCU fan, TCU media, that that were in that game – inside Cowboys Stadium, they're they're always going to remember that play. You see a guy that's just trying to wheel his team to a victory and he gets a long run, then you 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 get to a, a point where he's scoring an eight-yard touchdown and he can't even run off the field because he's collapsing because he's just so exhausted. Then you got the blood running down the elbow. And I think that's what kind of you know it, it it's crazy to say this and 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 because I know he was against some stiff competition for that Heisman. But I really feel like if he would have pulled that game off, 
that vote might have even been closer between he and Caleb Williams. And I'm not knocking Caleb Williams at all. I really feel Caleb is a obviously everyone knows he's an extraordinary player, but what a storybook ending that would have been for Max if if somehow he would was able to will that team to a win and and uh you know get the Heisman trophy in the process. But obviously everyone saw the emotions from him after the game and um that just kind of solidifies what type of person he is and what type of uh, teammate he is. He's, he's a guy that wants to put it out there all on the line to get a win. I, I think you're totally right as far as the Heisman. Had they been able to win that game, he, he probably would have been neck and neck with Caleb, and there's no doubt about that. So we'll take a quick break, come back, talk a little bit more about TCU's offense, switch to the defense, and talk a little bit about Monday night, some of the things we're expecting to see. Welcome back, everybody. Well, you mentioned earlier with Sonny Dykes, and, and he does things a little bit differently. And I noticed that on the teleconference on Tuesday when he was asking injury questions about running back Kendra Miller. And, uh, wow, a coach actually answered an injury question. That was news uh, to me, uh, especially Kirby Smart's not quite as open when it comes to things like that. But he said Kendra Miller is questionable for this game. Um, how important is Kendra for what they do on offense? And if he's not able to go, uh, who would they look to to kind of step up? Well, I mean, if, if Kendra is not able to go, that's going to be a big loss for them because Kendra has turned into, you know, what, what I feel like is one of the top running backs in the nation. And I feel like when Zach Evans left for Ole Miss, everyone was kind of wondering, man, is this run game going to take a hit? And Kendra Miller just kind of quietly sat in the background. He wasn't even really recruited as a running back out of high school. UTSA was where he was originally committed to as a linebacker. And so he he was going to go to UTSA, and then late in the process, TCU got out there and started recruiting him and said, hey, come play running back for us, and the rest is history. But he's had a tremendous year, almost 1,400 yards. I think he's one yard shy of it right now. Um, that's been the most yards since I think uh, Kyle Hicks did it in 2016, and he scored the most touchdowns in the in, in a year for running back since Ladanian Tomlinson. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge loss for them as far as uh, the running game goes because he's such a hard runner. He's a big guy. He he runs hard. He doesn't really get tackled on first contact. He's great at breaking tackles, but what he does best is probably just run away from defenders. He's got tremendous uh, speed, and it's it's really deceptive speed because I don't think anyone really knows how fast he's going until. He's gone, and and that's that's a big asset that he has. But if he's unable to go, then I'm I'm looking at uh, obviously Amari DiMercato, who was the uh, running back that ran all over Michigan last last uh, Saturday. Um, he's been around TCU for about 17 years. I'm just kidding. He's but honestly, he's been there about five years. I think this is his uh, sixth year of playing college football, and uh, he's you know he is such a, a good story because. He's never been the biggest. He's never been the strongest, never been the fastest. But he's always been uh, great at being a, a great teammate. He is a, from a running back perspective, he's one of the best pass blocking running backs you'll see. He catches the ball really well, runs good routes. He's kind of like the Swiss Army knife of, of, of the running back group. He's not he's not the best at running the football, maybe not the best at catching the football, but he's the best at doing all those things combined, if that makes sense. So I, I think obviously there is going to be a drop off if Miller can't go, but I also feel that Amari can get the job done. And another guy to look out for that we didn't really see a lot of this year, but when we did get a chance to see him, he did make some explosive plays. That's Amani, not Amari, Amani Bailey, the transfer from 
Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, he's a guy that's very explosive. He's not a big guy. He's probably about 5'9", I'd say about 200 pounds, but he's got great explosiveness. He's had some big runs this year. He's part of that, you know, 50 yards uh, per play, you know, big time plays that TCU has this year. He's He's got at least one or two of those plays. So he can make some good runs, but I, I, I would think if Kendra cannot go, you're going to see a, a steady workload from uh, from Amari and then even a even a guy from the the you know the south down there from Daphne Alabama Trent Battle he was a highly rated quarterback coming out of uh, Daphne and made the transition to running back and man he is a guy that they are so high on um, for his career at TCU he's an, he's another guy that's a big kid six one about two fifteen runs hard catches well. And I would I would uh, plan to see him in some type of formations out there against Georgia on Monday. When you look at the rest of the TCU offense, who are the names Georgia fans should be familiar with? Who are those other guys that they rely on to make plays? Well, I mean, everyone knows who Quentin Johnson is. I think he pretty much solidified his spot as the number one receiver in the upcoming draft. Even though he hasn't declared, everyone's pretty much written in the fact that he's going to be leaving. But I think Darius Davis, Darius Davis is another weapon that they have. He's one of the faster kids in college football. He's not the biggest, but he's kind of like the, you know, people that watch the Dallas Cowboys. He kind of is like Cavante Turpin. That's that's how we uh, uh, put the similarities with those two. They're kind of around the same size, same explosiveness. He's really good in the return game, too, as a kickoff and, and punt return specialist. But he's a guy that can take those little bitty slant routes and take them to the house real fast and, Tay Barber's the exact same way. They're they're both smaller slot guys, and uh, they they just got great speed. But I think Darius would be one to keep an eye on. And if for some reason they want to, if it, you know, if, if if Quentin's getting locked up, they do have some size up the other side at the Z spot. Savion Williams is a 6'5", 215 pound receiver, and Jordan Hudson was a five star true freshman. He had two catches against Michigan, so they're pretty loaded at at receiver. And the good thing about that receiving core is. They, they catch the ball well, they get open, and they also block well. I think a lot of those big run plays that you see is is uh, tip to the hat to the receivers for getting downfield and blocking. But I think the, I think the biggest storyline, and you may be asking me about this in a second, is and this is really what impressed me against Michigan, it's that offensive line, man. I mean, these games are won in the trenches. We all know that. And obviously, TCU is going to be facing another good one in, in Georgia's off- or defensive line, excuse me. But the way they were able to just – take apart Michigan's defensive line in that game and get run plays when they needed it the most. They, The interior of that offensive line with Alon Ali at center and uh, Steve Avila, he's an All-American at left guard. And Wes Harris, he's been there for five or six years too. And he's, you know, they've, they've all played really well. And I feel like if they continue to play well, it's going to be a tough test for them. I mean, let's not get ourselves, but it was supposed to be a really tough test for them against Michigan as well. They weren't supposed to get those yards that Michigan was going to show them big boy football. And TCU was the one that was showing more physicality. And even Sonny Dyke said it, I felt like we were the way more physical team. And, and we showed that on Saturday. When you look on the other side to the defense, something that's been a talking point so far, as far as Georgia getting ready for this game is TCU's got a little bit of a different look playing a three-three-five defense. Um, what has that allowed TCU's defense to do playing with that sort of uh, those formations and that alignment um, and how it's been successful to this point in the year? 
Well, sometimes when you get a three, three, five, you're doing it because you don't have athletes at all the right positions. You may have a few deficiencies at some spots, but that's not what TCU runs the three, three, five for. They run it because they have, when you have the three, three, five with, with some weak spots, it's okay. You're still going to be somewhat successful, but when you have a three, three, five with a, a, a defense that has 11 strong spots, you're t- typically going to have a pretty decent defense. What I think it allows them to do, um, it obviously lets the linebackers make plays. D winners had a huge game against Michigan. Jamoy Hodge is a guy that has really stepped up this year at linebacker for them. Johnny Hodges, Johnny Hodges didn't play against Kansas state. And I really think that hurt them in the run defense against the Wildcats. I, I think that was a big reason why the Wildcats were able to have success. Um, but their corners are still it's it's a little bit different for their corners. They still kind of put the corners on the island because Trey Hodges Tomlinson, we all know he won the Jim Thorpe Award. And Josh Newton, Josh Newton has been a guy that just really come in this year and surprised a lot of people. I, I don't think anyone really expected him to come in and have the type of year he did because he transferred here from Louisiana Monroe. And immediately as soon as he entered fall camp, you started to hear Josh Newton. You start hear Sonny Dax say Josh Newton, Josh Newton. And before long, you start seeing him at practice, and you're saying, "Man, this guy's making a lot of plays." And it just carried over into the season, and he's had a he's had a really good season. So the cornerbacks are kind of allowed to play on the island because they trust those guys. But the safeties have been uh, playing better. Mark Perry had a much better game against Michigan than what he had against Kansas State in the Big Twelve Championship, and obviously, uh, uh, Millard Bradford has been around there a long time. And Bud Clark, Bud Clark is uh, is a guy that I've always been extremely high on. He had a little bit of an injury bug early in the year, missed a few games, came back. He's played extremely well. And if you look at that game against Michigan, that's what I told a lot of the the Michigan stations I was on this week. I, I really felt like where the advantage TCU had against Michigan was that speed on defense. And although Donovan Edwards broke that long play in the very opening play of the game, Bud Clark was able to chase him down and prevent the touchdown. And a few plays later, they're not getting any points because they're trying to run the Philadelphia specials on fourth down. So that play right there was huge. And obviously he got a pick six later, but the defensive line um, with TCU, I told people in the beginning of the year, you're probably not going to see a defensive end or defense or nose tackle lead the team in sacks. And, and I was wrong. Dylan Horton surprised me. He had four sacks against Michigan, 13 tackles for loss for the defensive line and, and linebackers uh, group for TCU against Michigan and that's against the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. So, um, I mean, they, they just played lots out and it, it's really fun for them to uh, go around and make plays. And, and as mentioned earlier in, in the show, Jordan, this, this team has a lot of fun, but I think they're having a lot of fun on defense. Any other guys on the defense that you uh, didn't talk about just there that stand out to you that you think could be um, really important for TC when we get into Monday night? You know, the guy that has really uh, caught a lot of us by surprise this year is Dominic Williams. He's a true freshman out of California, started the year at 17 years old. He he literally was 17 when they played Colorado and his birthday was that day. And and uh, he's played tremendous. I, I think he he is a big reason why they've been successful in, in the run, especially in the middle. He's a big kid, 6'2". Uh, I think he goes around 325. He's extremely strong. He's extremely agile. Makes plays uh, that you don't expect a true freshman to make. And he's not always going to be the guy that's going to end up with a lot of numbers in the stat line. But he just does the little things as far as gap plugging, 
um, just trying to make some type of play, maybe maybe take on double teams because he's drawn a ton of double teams this year after the first few games and people got film on him. So he's he's helped that defensive line in that way. But I, I think overall the defensive defensive line with their entire rotation, I mean, a guy you guys all know, Tymon Mitchell, he's he's a guy that's come in and and contributed. He's he's not a guy that's gonna fill up the stat line. Uh, like any of these defensive linemen are, but he has been a guy that's come in and, and made some sort of contribution. And I think they go about eight or nine deep on that defensive line, and they're constantly rotating them out, and that's give, given them kind of a little bit of an of an advantage to keep those fresh legs in there. And and uh, I think that go has been you know helping them in a long way this year and, and helped them been successful Something. against not only the run game but getting to the back as well. Something I always like to do on these podcasts when we have these matchups is ask the beat writer for the opposing team, do you have any questions about Georgia? Is there anything that really stands out to you? And and if you do, I'll I'll do my best to kind of give you my perspective on it. Well, you know, Georgia is the most athletic team probably in the, in the entire nation. And and I, and I think everyone expects that, but I would, I would guess from a TCU perspective, you know, looking at some of their games especially that Missouri game where they played so close. What's some of the areas where Georgia has been kind of weak in some spots this year? I feel like the biggest thing, and you obviously saw it on Saturday in the Peach Bowl, uh, they're not going to give up a ton of explosive plays, but they are really vulnerable in that standpoint. And and I think that um, something that's definitely a question for me going into this game, a big part of the problem Saturday, and I actually wrote about this earlier Tuesday, um, just re-watching the, the Peach Bowl and sort of looking at what stood out. You know, it's the combination of their pass rush not being able to get home. And part of that is because uh, of their depth. I mean, they've had injury issues. Uh, outside linebacker Nolan Smith, who's a huge part of this defense, he got hurt at the end of October. He was out for the year. Chaz Chambliss, who's one of the guys that has stepped up and helped replace some of Nolan's production, he got hurt against Ohio State. And, you know, I think it's a situation, especially uh, last Saturday, where, you know, you had uh, one of the, you know, arguably the best wide receiver core in the entire nation in Ohio State, you know, just really having plenty of time to run around and get open. And and that was sort of the issue there that uh, there was one play, one of the touchdowns to Marvin Harrison Jr., where C.J. Stroud had something like six seconds to get off a throw. And you give a quarterback like that, that kind of time, he's going to hurt you. So, um, there's a lot of explosive plays in that Missouri game that you mentioned. Funny enough, Dominic Lovett, a guy who has since transferred to Georgia, he had a huge play that set up, a, I think that was a touchdown in that first half. Um, they, they've they got a really good defense, and a lot of the times the defense has been don't break. Um, wasn't quite so much in, in that Ohio State game, but um, they have a propensity to give up some big plays here and there. And, uh, you know, you saw Ohio State exploit that a good bit. And, uh, you know, Ohio State was a 50-yard field goal away from beating them. And I don't think that can be ignored, the fact that this defense can give up plays. And uh, a TCU offense, I think that's really talented. They'll have a chance to see if they can do it as well. Yeah, it's the same vulnerabilities TCU has on defense. They're going to give up some big plays. And anyone that watched that Michigan game, it was it was uh, big play after big play especially in that third quarter that seemed like it lasted about three hours. Um, there's There's been some big plays, obviously, TCU has had on offense this year, but when you look at what they've given up on defense, they are they are going to give up some of those long bombs, those 40-yard 
uh, passes. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I, I said against Michigan, they, they have been battle tested against teams that have talented receivers, talented offensive lines and, and guys that can run around. But I think what uh, Bennett, Stetson Bennett brings to this, this uh, game that they haven't seen is just that competitive drive, a guy that has so much experience that doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. He's a, he's, he's so similar in, in the style of play that, that Max plays with. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch those two guys battle it out because I think this game really does hinge on the, on the play of both those guys. If you look at um, the Michigan game for TCU, they really put that game into J.J. McCarthy's hands. They were not going to let Donovan Edwards beat them. They were going to force McCarthy to make plays through the air. And obviously he made some good plays, but he also threw a couple of those pick sixes. He didn't run when he had, a, 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 you know, some opportunities too. And I think that hurt them. And, um, but it, it's one of those games where I look at TCU and Georgia that if, you know, I, I don't expect Georgia to go in there and look and pass TCU. Like I felt like Michigan did. I felt like Michigan had, had said some things during the week and maybe even, you know, not not so much just trying to give bulletin board material, but maybe maybe they downgraded. Maybe they were thinking it's too much of a business trip for them, that there was really no way that they were going to let TCU beat them. And I think Michigan found out really fast, and I think the rest of college football found out real fast that TCU is a physical team, and TCU does have some speed, and they do have some good athletes at, at uh, some key positions. They're not the typical blue blood that you would see, but they do have – a team that's that's very uh, reputable, and I think they belong in the college football playoff. I know a lot of people kind of questioned if they belonged in there or not, especially after losing the Big 12 championship to Kansas State. And obviously, after we see Alabama take care of Kansas State the way they did, everyone's starting to question that even more. But I was glad to really see TCU come out there. And it wasn't like TCU got a late break in the game. I mean, there was obviously the, the questionable targeting call, but – there was points in that game, Jordan, you know, they're up 21 to three or they're up 41, 22. And every time Georgia seemed to throw a punch, TC was throwing a punch right back. And that was a, that was a, a you know, a good teams do that. Good teams find a way to win. And that's what TCU did. Yeah. I mean, we were watching it in the press box in Atlanta because that game was before Georgia, Ohio state. And I mean, we're looking at each other when they get up going, Oh my God, you know, TCU, because, I mean, I'll be honest, too. I, I thought Michigan would probably come into that game and take care of business. And a whole lot of credit due to TCU for how they played and uh, and withstood some some major blows uh, thrown by Michigan. Um, it was a hard-fought game. And, and I think, like you said, they, they very much deserve to be on this stage because of what they had accomplished in the regular season and, and what they've done to this point as well. Um, when we get ready to wrap this up, Jeremy, what needs to happen, in your opinion, on Monday for TCU to have a chance of winning this game? If you want to give a score prediction, feel free. If not, just kind of focus on what needs to go right for the Horn Frogs to have a chance of winning this one. Well, I think the biggest thing for them is, you know, this this game against Michigan ended up being a heart attack game, just like every other game they've seen, had this year. But the one difference was is they were playing ahead the whole time. They never trailed in the game, and I think that's big against Georgia. I think it's important for them to get out to a lead early on. If if they can't get out to a lead, at least keep it close. I, I think depth is going to be a, a a big advantage for Georgia. I mean, obviously they've got a ton of talented players. TCU does too. Um, but I, I think I think uh, both teams are going to be extremely physical. I think for TCU's perspective, especially on defense, they can't give up the big plays. 
Stetson Bennett's going to have a few plays where it looks like he's going to be dead to rights and he's going to escape and he's going to get 15 yards downfield. He's going to scramble. And guess what? That's probably going to be the same thing for Georgia's defense when they think they have Max Duggan corralled and he's going to make some big plays. So I think limiting, it sounds cliche, but I think limiting the big plays uh, for them on defense is, is going to be huge and not let the game just get too big for them. And I think they did a great job of that. I, they they responded so well. Everyone saw that play and here we go. Michigan's about to steamroll TCU. It's already on 54 yards, first play of the game, but they settled down. They, they, they don't get rattled. This team just, and I know I sound like a tremendous homer right now, and I'm trying not to, but I'm just telling you from a perspective of covering this team every week, it, they, they really don't panic. They don't get rattled. And even when you see games against Oklahoma State, at that time, Oklahoma State was undefeated. They came back from 17 to win. They came back from Kansas State down 18 to win that game. So they don't really panic. They don't get rattled. Um, and, and I think if they could keep this game close – there may be a chance for them to pull off the improbable. I don't think uh, a lot of people are giving them a chance to win, but I also don't feel like people are looking at TCU in a way where they feel that they can't win. You know what I mean? It's, so I, I don't think anyone that's really truly watched TCU football this year, week in and week out, can discount them. I don't think they can count them out of any game because I think they've proven it all year long, and I think they really showed the rest of college football on Saturday – how they can compete with those type of talented teams and 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 really stay with it and 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 pull off an upset not a lot of people thought they would. And again, I'm not predicting them to beat Georgia or anything like that, but I do feel like this game's competitive as long as TCU doesn't let the game get too big and they uh, limit those big plays defensively and hey, let them get the get let the run game get going for them on offense. Hopefully Kendra Miller's able to play and if they can limit the turnovers, crazy thing about it. They they had thir- three turnovers against Michigan. And they were still able to generate 37 offensive points um, against a pretty stout defense. Now, we know Georgia's better uh, defensively, especially in the middle of that defensive line. Holy cow. But uh, it's going to be interesting. And uh, I feel like TCU is going to do enough to compete in this game to even if they lose, I feel like the rest of college football is going to give them a credit and, and, and clap for them and let them know that they're probably going to be around for a while to to be one of these teams that can compete for a national championship year in and year out. No, I, I think your perspective is spot on, especially, you know, just from me watching from the outside. And I think that's a shared trait between these two teams that they don't panic. And that was what you got to see too from Georgia in the Peach Bowl. I mean, they were kicking a field goal down 14 with something like 14 minutes left. And and I, and no, I wasn't the only one, but, you know, several of us watching that game are going, why are you kicking a field goal? You're, you know, you cannot stop Ohio State. Kirby Smart and those guys trusted in the defense, and, and they found a way. It, it was not pretty. And uh, like you said, with the Michigan TCU game, kind of a heart attack game, especially at the end. But no, I mean, I, I think you're right, Jeremy. I mean, my expectation, you know, I, I, I'm going to say Georgia wins this one 31-21. I think it's going to be a really competitive game. I, I think there's some fans especially, but there will probably be some media too that feel like Georgia's going to be able to name their score, and, and I just don't see it in this game. I think you've got a team in TCU that even if Georgia jumps on them, they've proven they don't panic. I mean, the way they've come back, Kirby Smart talked about that on Tuesday, the, the amount of comeback games, the amount of comeback wins TCU has had. Obviously, you don't want to be playing from behind, but I, I think it's the kind of team you can't count out, you know, that you don't uh, have the ability to just sit on and, and just say, okay, well, we're going to you know, grind this thing out and get out of here with a win. 
I'm expecting this game to be tied. I'm expecting this to be a really competitive game, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. And, and I can tell you too, Jeremy, and you'll probably hear this more coming into the actual game, I think there's going to be a lot of fans across the country rooting for TCU. Um, you know, be, them being the underdog in this game, obviously, Georgia's the defending national champion. I think this is a team that people around the country will get behind, um, and they'll see if they can root them on. And obviously, like you had mentioned, it'll be a tough challenge to beat Georgia. Um, but I, I'm not of the mindset that Georgia's going to be able to just walk in this one, uh, name the score, and then walk right out. Yeah, I agree with you on the on the uh, you know people rooting for TCU because Wes Harris said it best today. <laughs> He said, I, you know, I think college football in general is probably tired of seeing the same four teams compete for a championship in Georgia and uh, Ohio State, Clemson and Alabama. And TCU kind of gives it a little bit different perspective. And uh, a lot of people see them as a, you know, this is a David versus Goliath or a Cinderella story. But I really feel like it's neither of those two. I really feel like TCU is a really good program. I don't feel like it's the Cincinnati of last year or Central Florida of a few years ago where they claimed their national championship. But, uh, you know, I, I really feel like this is a good team. And I, really, and, and I feel like Georgia fans are going to see the same thing Michigan fans see or saw when they first saw TCU. They're going to see a, a big group. This isn't they're, – they're, they're big up front on offense. they got some size on defense, and, and they're athletic. And I, you know, I hope, uh, you know, the rest of the – college football world, especially you guys down there in Georgia, kind of get a chance to see what TCU is about and, you know, why they why everyone feels like they should be competing for that championship. Absolutely, and excited to see it. So before we get out of here, Jeremy, uh, just let us know what you guys are up to this week on uh, Horn Frog Blitz, so the things y'all are working on and, and um, sort of the focus for you guys getting ready for Monday night. Man, we got a lot going on. There's been press conferences today. I think I've got about – two hours of audio to transcribe. I'm trying to get my otter working like crazy here, trying to do the work for me. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun time. There's, there's a lot of player interviews and that's another thing you mentioned the funny thing about Sonny. You asked the question about an injury. He doesn't, he does there's not a question that I've seen asked that he doesn't answer, you know, and, and it's really refreshing to see that, but, um, the, just the, the way he responds, just the charisma that he has and, it gives a lot of great stuff to write about and we get a chance to talk to players um, and, and give them a, give them a, a chance to a little speak their voices a little bit. And, and uh, it's, it's been a fun time at Horn Frog Blitz looking forward to the trip flying out Friday night, going to hit those pressers on Saturday and Sunday and go see this awesome stadium, man. I can't wait to see so fine person. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that and seeing a great ball game, man. I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. And looking forward to meeting you there and, and looking forward to what makes for a, a really fun uh, fun business trip. But uh, it should be a fun game on Monday night, and we're looking forward to it. So we'll wrap up this episode there. Again, thanks to Jeremy for popping on. And be sure to go over to the TCU site and check out all their content as we get ready for the national championship game. So we'll wrap it up right there. Appreciate everybody who watched this live and listening live. Appreciate everybody who's listening to this after the fact. Uh, just uh, keep the countdown going because we'll be to Monday night before you know it. So on that note, uh, thanks again for everybody listening. Take care and uh, let's get ready for this big game. Press the button.